0: how's it going everybody welcome to the show it is time for break the business where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way i'm ryan corella and it is a pleasure to have you here this week oh my goodness viewers and listeners i miss football i can't believe football season is over what am i supposed to do watch baseball like a peasant. I I miss football. That Super Bowl was astounding. It was everything I wanted. It was fabulous. What an amazing finish. Oh, and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. What more can I say about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? You get one of the NFL's biggest names having a career night and also, Travis Kelsey won a Super Bowl. I mean, it's incredible. I am over the moon. I got to talk about this with Katie Zacardi. I, I cannot just, I cannot talk about Taylor Swift without Katie Zacardi. How are you, Katie?
1: I'm doing great, and I'm ready to talk about Taylor.
0: All right. What do you got for me? Because I have a lot of Taylor and Travis thoughts and Super Bowl thoughts and things like that. But if you let me start, we're going to get through the whole show. You won't get a word in edgewise. And that's not fair because the people want to hear from you, Katie Zacardi. <laughs> Your thoughts.
1: Oh, gosh, I almost wish that you would go because I, as you know, I'm not the biggest football fan. However, I did finally the rules of it clicked in my brain just two weeks ago, when the Lions were in the playoffs, and they lost, which is very sad because one of my good friends is a huge Lions fan. Anyway, I was like, Okay, I'm ready for the Super Bowl. First time in my life. I'm ready. I'm not going to lie to you. I was pretty bored for like 70% of this game until it finally got interesting. Now, again, not a huge football fan, so don't yell at me if you disagree. But, of course, it all happens in overtime. Taylor Swift, stunning, beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, looked phenomenal. Couple of the year. It's their year. I love them. I am eating up. (laughs) All of the content, I cannot even express to you. i go gone to TikTok. I will watch any video that has the two of them in it. Personally, we are in a time, I'm gonna, this is gonna seem like a tangent, but I swear it's not, where we are not getting the rom-com content that we need. It's been years of superhero movies yeah. and neglecting the rom-com. They feel like a real life rom-com and I'm so here for it, but, I think the best part is that you just see two people who are having uh, pretty good years, like they're at a pretty good moment of their careers, and they're just supporting each other. Like in every video you see, he's supporting her, she's supporting him, no questions asked. It's just so beautiful. I love it.
0: It is. And I... It was the outcome I wanted. Like, I I didn't have a dog in that fight. I'm a Miami Dolphins yeah. fan. I'm never going to yeah. get near the Super Bowl ever again. Or, you know, Never in my lifetime the Dolphins have ever made the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so I didn't go into that game with a rooting interest. Neither did I. But as the game was getting closer to finish and it was getting tight and everything, I started rooting for love, Katie Zaccardi. <laughs> I wanted... I mean, I, I had, I had indulged this fantasy in my head of Travis Kelsey catching the game winning touchdown out of the sky and immediately dropping to one knee and proposing to Taylor Swift in the skybox. Just how commissioner Roger Goodell scripted it, I am sure, but he still had, I mean, he didn't win the, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't have like an amazing game. He had a great, a good game, a great game. He didn't have the game winning touchdown or anything like that, but I mean, it was, but it's his second Super Bowl, and they had a beautiful moment after the Super Bowl, and that was just lovely. Oh, my gosh, I want to talk to you about this. I was reading that after the Super Bowl, Travis and Taylor went to an after party together. Yeah. And one of the things that I heard in one of these gossip rags was that, um apparently at one point in the party, Taylor Swift was in the bathroom. And when she came out, a Taylor Swift song was playing and it was uh, You Belong With Me and Travis Kelsey gets up on the stage. And as she's coming out of the bathroom, starts singing You Belong With Me, serenading Taylor Swift at this after party at the top of his lungs. And later she's caught on video, like talking to somebody else and saying how Travis Kelsey doing that is, quote, the most romantic thing that has ever happened to her. And my feeling is like, yeah, you know, a very romantic gesture. Um, yeah. But if it's the most romantic thing that's ever happened to her, I I kind of wonder who she's been dating. I mean, how yeah, underwhelming when... are the romantic gestures that she has received in her life? Yeah. That the most romantic thing that's happened to her was a dude sang her song.
1: Well, maybe it's because that is, like, a direct reflection of the You Belong With Me music video, where I feel like in the music video, she's, like, kind of, she's holding the signs up to her, like, boy that she's a crush on. And it's not that she's, like, serenading him, but that's what the energy is kind of giving. So I feel like for her to walk in and, like, be serenaded by that, it's, like, it's giving he understands me.
0: <laughs> I mean, but I don't I don't get the romanticism in that. Like I'm guessing ninety-five percent of the people in that venue that night could have sung that song to her because they knew all the words, like I know all the words, like you know all the words, because everybody yeah. knows all the words to you belong with me. Yeah. Now if it's like you know if she gets out of the bathroom and he and he's singing like a deep cut Taylor Swift song like if she comes out of there and he's singing King of My Heart or I'm Only Me When I'm With You
1: No, I don't think that matters. And and we have a listener Daniel saying the person doing it affects the romance level. I think that's so true because number 1 they're in love. Number 2 he's like a football player. This isn't like Maddie Healy being like <laughs> of the 1975 being like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to like singing one of my songs like he's like a hunky little football player not little but like a little football player like (laughs) just singing Taylor Swift in front of a ton of people after he just won the Super Bowl that's what he's choosing to do is serenade her with like a really cheesy cute song
0: I feel like you and taylor swift are grading travis kelsey on a curve here because he's a hunk
1: i mean so what (laughs) and and what what if i am (laughs)
0: because like i mean i'm not saying i'm the most romantic dude in the world I, i would probably put myself like average to below average in the romantic gestures I've done in my life, I'm sure I've done something more romantic than just sing a Taylor Swift song at a party. All right. I think, but I'm also, you know, 170 pounds in five, eight and not muscular. And so I feel like that's part of what you all are doing when you're saying that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard.
1: Um, yeah. And it's not, I wouldn't, if that is the really the most romantic thing ever, then that is Really sad because that is I knowing
0: her dating like, history, it might be.
1: But that's the thing. Like, you know what I think? <laughs> you know what I actually think it is? It it like lacks ego. And again, I'm just gonna go back to he this is a man who literally just won the Super Bowl. He's celebrating his Super Bowl win. And I feel like who else would do that? Like Maddie Healy wouldn't do that. John Mayer wouldn't do that. John
0: Mayer definitely wouldn't do that.
1: Like Jake Gyllenhaal Hall wouldn't do that her last boyfriend what's what was his name i know his name freaking
0: i'm surprised you were able to rail off as many as you did there
1: i mean maybe joe jonas would have but you know joe owen that was her last boyfriend of six years no freaking way would he do that no way he was hiding her away out well, of them, he, oh because a lot of
0: those guys are like musicians, musicians types who probably yeah,
1: like, like, fartsy, fartsy. Like, yeah, I'm like, oh, so oh, I can't sing this. a Taylor
0: Swift song. I'm, I'm too, too cool good for, for that.
1: This. And yeah. he, meanwhile, he's like, sell it. Like he is in the spotlight and he is choosing to just be like, I don't care. I'm going to sing this and I'm going to do it proudly.
0: Uh, so, okay. You got me behind that.
1: I think it's and, the context, you know?
0: And like, I, I guess I'm, I'm not thinking of this through her perspective because There is something romantic about like creating something that have somebody like entertaining you with the thing you created. I mean, if I walked out of the bathroom at a party and my wife was like reading pages out of my book, (laughs) Uh my heart would just be a flutter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I,
1: I can see why you would feel that way.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> knowing me for sure. Well, staying with the Super Bowl topic here, Katie. Um, mm-hmm. you were pretty excited as a person always on the hunt for show content mm-hmm. about this Cetaphil ad, Super Bowl ad controversy. You texted me about it. You thought it would have a lot, had a lot of interesting implications for copyright law, community management, and PR. A lot of interesting stuff, perhaps some lessons for indie creators here. What happened with Cetaphil over the weekend?
1: So some of our listeners might have seen, if not, I actually do encourage you to go watch the ad because it is a good ad. It made me cry. But Cetaphil put an ad out there a few days before the Super Bowl as their Super Bowl ad that basically had a father and a daughter uh, growing their relationship through football. And it's basically, it's not explicitly mentioned, but it's basically implied like the daughter- sees Taylor Swift going. She's kind of interested. The dad gets excited that she's interested and then they start to bond and it's bringing people together. And somehow- It was a cute ad. It was really cute. Don't ask me how Cetaphil really ties itself in, but somehow they do. They make themselves relevant. Um, It was a very, very sweet ad. And I feel like it was very, honestly, indicative of what happened this year, which was you did see a lot of women- becoming interested or more interested in football or at least uh, engaging in the watching a little bit more than they might have before. And I feel like this is just such a, a beautiful example of that: of the daughter actually becoming invested in winning and spending time with her dad and whatnot. So really cute. I got a lot of praise. And then turns out now there's some controversy around it because a TikTok creator accused Cetaphil of essentially stealing her TikToks. Now we were just talking about it before the show, and it appears there's not like one specific TikTok. It's not like the creator made her own makeshift ad that Cetaphil then copied outright. But she had been creating content with her stepfather that was very similar to this about her kind of turning her stepfather into a Swifty and her stepdad becoming really excited about them watching the game together. And there's videos of her, him like coming into her room while she's doing her makeup and being like, okay, we're watching the game at five o'clock. So, you know, seeing them bond, seeing them grow because of these two things. So she accused Cetaphil of stealing and Cetaphil actually very quickly intervened and gave them, I'm assuming gave them a settlement. You know, the quote is like Cetaphil took care of us. So I'm assuming they, you know, they, had a settlement. And so all is well. But I thought it was really interesting because I saw a few TikToks talking about the copyright implications of this and why they are or aren't entitled to money or compensation or why or why not it might be copying. So I thought that it would be interesting since, you know, you happen to know a little bit about that topic.
0: We've been known to dabble in those topics around here. <laughs>
1: For, um, to get your take on it
0: too yeah i thought it was interesting reading the stories about it i like you uh fell in love with that set ad i thought it was just the the cutest thing in the world and just one of many bangers of uh super bowl commercials the super bowl commercials were fantastic this year the set ad patrick stewart throwing hay arnold into a mountain just you mm-hmm. get everything from the uh super bowl ads this year they were tremendous <laughs> And I particularly thought you know, enjoyed the Cetaphil ad. Particularly as a new dad, just it, it warms the heart. Yeah. And I, but I was, and I confess, I was not aware of the TikTok videos that uh, this creator Sharon Babazi was doing with her stepfather, where, as you noted, through the through the lens of makeup, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and like telling stories like while putting on makeup, her father got her into football. He got, uh, sorry, her stepfather got her into football. He got she got her he stepfather him. into Taylor Swift. Right. And then you and it was done over the course of many TikTok videos and then Cetaphil kind of just did one commercial that showed like the journey of of um you know a you know a a, a
1: growing a, relationship. Yeah. Yeah, growing relationship,
0: mixed yeah. race father daughter. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of similarities with the TikTok creators. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the first question is let's say Cetaphil didn't make nice and do right by this creator. Could there have been a copyright claim? And I think this uh, saga is actually a pretty great explanation of a copyright concept that uh, is taught in copyright classes. In fact, I I bet this story might even be taught in copyright classrooms because it articulates this particular principle so well. And that's what's known as the idea expression dichotomy. So in copyright law, copyright law protects what are called expressions of ideas. Um, you know, actually taking an idea and creating some kind of piece of media around it. Um, what copyright law does not protect is the idea itself. So, for example, um, you, th- you can think of something like uh, superheroes being an idea. And then the Avengers like movie or a Superman movie or a Batman movie being one expression of that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Copyright law is going to protect your particular expression of that idea of a superhero movie, but you won't it won't protect other people from making their own version of that idea. So other people can make Super Bowl movies or mm-hmm. sorry, superhero movies, um, based on that idea. So, you know, mostly what assuming that Cetaphil did like intend to take from this TikTok ad and they were actually inspired by it, um, what they mostly took was just the idea, a lot of themes, father-daughter bonding, uh Dad's into football, daughter's into Taylor Swift, they're doing makeup, but they didn't actually take specific footage or plot elements or storylines. There were some similarities, but I don't see Mm -hmm. enough. I wouldn't have seen enough there as a copyright lawyer to say they actually took expression uh, from the original uh, TikTok videos. And so there wouldn't Mm -hmm. be a copyright claim here. But. Any good lawyer would tell their client it doesn't end on the legal discussion. You don't just say, oh, you guys are okay by the law. You can tell these TikTokers to go take a hike. Mm -hmm. That's not a good idea Mm -hmm. because that's a great way to get the public to hate you, to lose all the great PR that you just gained from doing this really heartwarming Super Bowl commercial. And so even if you're right on law, if somebody got hurt by you and it's going to create a negative publicity for you, you need to go make it right. And to your point, Katie. Cetaphil appears to have done a really good job of making it right. They reached out to the creator. Uh, They said they, you know, did right by them. They didn't specify what they did exactly, but it's implied from the video that uh, Sharon Babazi made that they're going to do some kind of brand partnership with this daughter and this stepfather and with Cetaphil. And so there's probably going to be some future content with them going forward. But it did a really nice job of diffusing... I mean, it's Thursday as we record this. The original commercial came out on Sunday. So within four days, this uh, potential PR disaster has been almost completely resolved and has just created additional good PR for uh, this company. A masterclass in community management.
1: It's very interesting. And I think for the record, it's worth saying that Cetaphil said that they had never seen the videos and that they didn't copy. Obviously, they were saying that they had they didn't know anything, which I feel like is kind of hard to prove these days. Is it possible that they didn't see it? Yes. Like, no ideas are original ones at this point. But is it also possible that someone on the Cetaphil team saw a TikTok video, even while they were sitting on the toilet or commuting to work and kind of zoned out, but they, like, saw a few of her videos in passing and then came up with that idea kind of making it their own. Yeah, I think that's also true. So it's it's hard to say, in my opinion. But I also do wonder, I mean, I guess if they didn't know about it, then they wouldn't have had this idea. But in the event that they maybe didn't know about it, I wish they would have just maybe reached out to them for the commercial and had them in the commercial in the first place. But again, allegedly, they didn't know. What I find really interesting, though, is... It's actually reminding me of another TikTok controversy that wasn't really a huge controversy because it was kind of with an unknown person, but there was a smaller, there's an independent artist and I cannot remember her name, unfortunately, but when Olivia Rodrigo did her Saturday Night Live performance, uh, not too long ago, I think it was a few months ago, she did a tea party vibe and she was like smashing stuff at the tea party and whatnot. And This independent artist got on TikTok and said, Olivia Rodrigo copied me. And I did my music, I did a music video to my song, and it's like almost frame for frame the same thing. Like, I'm at this tea party, and then I smash this thing here, and then I go walk and do this, and whatever. And what I found really interesting is that in the comments, people were kind of ripping her apart and being like, You're not the first person to invent a tea party. Like, Olivia didn't copy you, and, and by the way- C.S. You,
0: Lewis beat you both to it.
1: Yeah, she, exactly. Basically, people being <laughs> like, and by the way, you should check out XYZ Artist and XYZ Artist because they actually did it before you did. So you we could say that you copied them. Um, I thought it was interesting because it, number one, I mean, the public forum could go either way on one of these things, and I feel like the public forum on the Cetaphil ad was like, hey- what the heck? You stole this heartwarming story. Whereas with the other thing, it was like, hey, this isn't specific enough, but it all kind of falls under the same thing, which is just like loose idea that can definitely be interpreted and taken any which way. So my question to you, Ryan, is as artists, how can we be mindful and careful of this? Like we're seeing content all the time. Maybe we're seeing it in passing. Maybe we're it's it's going into our subconscious and we're not you know necessarily clocking it but then we go to create something that came from our subconscious because we saw something else how can we be mindful that we're not like actually copying someone but we're still acting in a way that is honoring any other people's work but is still our own
0: i mean what you just described there is one of the scariest things that i think about for creators all the time is you might create something not intending to copy off of something came before you, but mm-hmm. just something got caught in your subconscious, whether it's a TikTok video you saw two weeks ago while you were in the bathroom. Or maybe it was a song from 10 years ago that just found its way into the front of your mind when you happened to be in a songwriting session and you made, you know, five notes that were similar to the five notes in that song. Our guests coming up later in the show and after the break, uh, Michaela Shiloh, Andre Mullen, probably have this fear as producers. Um And, you know, it's something that concerns me all the time for clients, especially as we have become a lot more litigious about copyright law lately. Mm-hmm. And... What I would say is if you know that risk exists, you always, you know, then it's about what What do you do about it? And I think uh, we can take a few lessons from the Cetaphil saga, which is one act fast. Um, don't assume that just because you're right on the law means you're going to win in the court of public opinion. I mean, it's True. great. It's great if you're right on the law because <laughs> copyright infringement is a very expensive crime uh, or a, a very expensive offense to have to pay damages for. But if you are, you know, but even if you're right on the law, like if the public thinks you're in the wrong, you need to act fast to fix it. And so reaching out to the people who may have felt like they've been wrong, making it right with them um, and doing it fast and quickly and going over the top um, so that the creator is happy, can pay tenfold dividends in terms of the, you know, getting the public back on your side again. And, you know, had they done this wrong, had they said we didn't steal anything you know, you're just trying to get cloud for yourself, they could have ruined all of their goodwill that they gained from that very expensive Super Bowl ad that they paid for. Right. You know, so it's about acting fast. You know, you have a crisis team for a reason. Publicists, uh, PR people, talk to those people, get your lawyers in the room and, and make sure that your statements are carefully crafted, but not too overly crafted so it doesn't look authentic. But act fast and you know, uh, be, be ready to, to go out of your way to, a, to make a very big response that gets, uh, lets you take the narrative back.
1: Good advice.
0: Yeah, I will I take mean, that it's
1: a, and run with it. It's a—I mean—that's <laughs> the kind like of stuff. Said, no one ends up in that situation, but you oh, but
0: it's—it's it's inevitable. I, I yeah. mean, I think it's in, in in the especially in the era of TikTok and YouTube, and there being more creators than ever, and we're more exposed to more media, so there's always going to be more ideas in the back of our head than there's ever been. And you know, creativity builds off of the stuff that come before it comes before it. So this is only going to happen more frequently now. Mm -hmm. And having the right team in place and acting the right way when these things do inevitably happen so that you don't lose your positive publicity and your goodwill is uh, absolutely critical. Uh, Before we go to break, I got one more story here, uh, Katie, that I I do want to bring up before we bring in our guests, uh, Michaela Shal and Andre Mullen from Hard Drive, because I think this is something that they might be interested in as a story. Just to to let you all know before we bring them in later, uh, Hard Drive is a community-based record label they do free music distribution. They do beats. Um, you know, it's a really cool community they've built over there o- over uh, the last several years. They got a new event coming out in April called Bro- uh, Betafest in Brooklyn. Excited to talk to them all about it. But when I found out that hard drive uh, does beat licensing and you know, helps their people on their platform get beats for their music, it reminded me of an article in Billboard magazine I saw earlier this week. About the dangers of licensing beats and using beat licensing websites like uh, BeatStars or you know one of these other ones. There's so many of them these days, or Soundy, and um and basically here's the hypothetical, Katie, that uh you know you, you could put yourself in. Imagine you are an artist making their own making a new track, right? And you you know you don't have like a team of musicians to get into the recording studio to to put something together, so you're gonna do it a lot of music professionals are doing these days a lot of songwriters are doing which is you're going to license a beat from one of these beat licensing websites like BeatStars or soundy you know some creator made a beat on there and you can buy it for the right to be able to use it in your song so you take that beat you throw your top line over it your melody your lyrics or whatever uh, you do some production stuff to it, and boom, you have a fully ready-to-go single that you put together a lot more cheaply than if you would have had to bring a team of musicians into a recording studio. And you look online, and it gives you the option of either buying the beat outright for like $1,000, maybe $500, mm-hmm. or you see option two where it allows you to license the beat non-exclusively for like $25. And you're like, "Well, that seems like a good deal." I mean, I don't I don't need I don't need to own this beat because, you know, I don't care if somebody else uses the beat for their song too. I just want to be able to use it for my song. Uh-huh. So, I'll pay the $25 cuz it's a lot cheaper than $1,000, and I'll put it in my song and I'll release the song and it's going to be great. And let's say it is great. You you put out the song, it gets on Spotify, and boom, you catch lightning in a bottle. Your your track becomes super famous. It gets tons and tons of streams. You get on some playlist, right? And now all your dreams are coming true. You got, you got a big popular song and all of a sudden you get an email, uh, maybe from a producer, maybe from a law firm, but it's somebody who represents that beat that you licensed and they show you a copy of the beat licensing agreement that you agree to that let's be honest you never read or looked at and maybe was never even sent to you maybe it was just like you know something that was like sent to you as a link and you never looked at it but either way what it says is it has a streaming cap in it that says that your license is only covering the first and fifty thousand streams of the song and once you hit that streaming cap You are now in breach of that license and you now have to renegotiate the license with the producer to be able to stream it more than that. Uh oh. (laughs) And so and then the producer reaches out to you and says, hey, uh, congratulations on your really popular song. Here are my terms for you to continue to license my beat in excess of the stream cap. Uh, Big royalties, big cash payment. And if you don't give it to me. You have to pull the song off the streaming service because you won't have the rights, you won't have the right to use the beat anymore. And also, I might sue you. Also, Spotify might get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and unfortunately that scenario is becoming all too common as beat licensing platforms are becoming more popular. I'm going to quote something from this article that I think explains it pretty well, Katie. Quote Acts typically license the instrumentals they want for cheap rather than buying them outright, which can cost significantly more. What they may not understand, however, is the agreements they accept to access these beats typically grant them limited rights by capping the number of streams a song can earn and allowing other acts to license the same same piece of music. If a song built on a leased instrumental becomes a hit, the artist then has to circle back and try to buy out that beat. They have essentially built, I love this quote, wow, they have essentially built a highly desirable house on real estate they don't own. Yeah. Um, and this is becoming so, so common, particularly as these beat licensing platforms, um, are, you know, some of them don't have say the most sophisticated legal infrastructure. I've had clients that are like, Hey, I want to license this beat. Can you take a look at the beat licensing agreement? And I'll, and I'll look at it. And it's like, it's, it's clearly been translated from like Russian into English and the terms contradict each other and it's a big big mess and then i'm supposed to make sense of this thing and there's and i tell the client this licensing agreement's not going to work it's not going to work for what you're trying to do and they're like well can we change the terms i was like no cuz the producer some person out in russia who we can't get in touch with but you can't use this beat because this licensing agreement's not going to work and they say well i've already put the i've already used the beat and it's on spotify and so what are we going to do and it's like the wild west out there and and i and i when I see these situations and I see articles like this, and we've talked about this on the show before, Katie, the uh-huh. the thing I have to tell artists is when in doubt, you have to buy the beat,
1: uh-huh. you know,
0: with no stream caps, buy it outright, even if it's going to cost you $300, $400, $500, because oftentimes anything less than that comes with these really crappy fine print terms like a stream cap that could put you in a really bad situation if that song takes off and becomes really, really famous. But like stream caps are the worst thing to agree to because it's something you have no control over. You don't control how many people are gonna stream your song. Yeah, You have no way of knowing. Like, And it, it tends to be all or nothing with these streaming platforms, right? Either three people stream your song or it catches fire and it's 100 million streams and there's right. nothing in between.
1: <laughs> and if you're just starting out, you feel like, well, I don't really have the money to spend and I yeah. don't have the audience, but it could bite you in the butt. Yeah, the, You never uh, know.
0: Particularly with the rise of what this article calls beat trolls, uh, which which already sounds like a horrific figure. But uh, Mm -hmm. basically the idea behind beat trolls is there are some unsavory characters out in the music industry who Mm -hmm. know that this phenomenon exists. And so these beat trolls will buy beats uh, from other, you know, from like these beat licensing platforms. They'll buy the beat outright so that they own the rights to it. And then they just wait. They wait for people who license the beat beforehand and wait for one of them to take off and go over the stream cap. And then that beat troll goes after you with guns blazing team of lawyers ready to squeeze every dime they can out of the artist uh, who happened to have a big hit song and you know maybe doesn't have the money to pay these beat trolls. And so it's something you have to be careful with. And so just generally you know, be mindful of these beat licensing agreements. Don't just read what it says on the website about how your beat works. You have to actually read the license agreement that's attached to it. That's usually like a hyperlink or something. Get a lawyer to look at it because as annoying as all of that is, it's not nearly as annoying as the worst case scenario of your song taking off and all of a sudden you violated this random beat license agreement.
1: Mm-hmm. That is something that I would not have known about if you didn't bring it up, and I'm really glad that we're talking about it because I this is so sneaky and it's such a simple decision to just not get trapped. So I hope that if you were if you zoned out, go back and re listen to this and write it down.
0: <laughs> to get a and lawyer. Set here. a
1: calendar reminder for the next time you go to buy Beats to keep this in mind.
0: Yeah. And I wish there was a better solution than that. Cause I hate for my advice to be, Hey artists, you have to spend more money, but You know, I'm telling you, as a lawyer, I don't know what else to tell clients to do, because these licensing agreements can be just be so I mean, these beat license agreements are some of the worst contracts I've read because they're usually not drafted by lawyers. They're usually not drafted by people who have a particularly strong grasp of the English language. Right. And and so the terms contradict each other and they're rife with misspellings and they are very, very predatory toward creative professionals i see michaela and andre nodding along through a lot Mm. of this so they probably have some experience with this maybe hard drive's got some solutions in this area let's we should talk to them about it so we're going to take a quick break katie we'll come back with uh, michaela shiloh and andre mullen from hard drive next on break the business break the business is presented in cooperation with ryan a corella pa Ryan A. Carella PA, is a law firm providing transactional entertainment legal services, including contracts, business formation, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Ryan A. Carella PA, Miami, Florida, rkpalaw.com.
2: Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit L.E.K. L-E-K entertainment
0: wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan Kair, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corelli here with Katie Zaccardi. For the viewers and listeners who have been inundating my inbox, asking about the transition to volume.com, adding them as a new live streaming partner for us, when is that going to happen? What's it going to look like? We're working on it. We don't have a date nailed down yet, but it will be soon. All right, I'm talking about weeks, not months, uh, before this is set up. We're actually talking with the... Volume.com executives, as we speak, they are some of the nicest human beings you will ever come across. And I'm so excited to be joining that platform. That's going to be very, very soon. Uh, We're in the process of revamping some of our artwork and our formats because we want to we be good house guests when we head over there. And by the way, uh, as we've said before, if, you're, if you check us out and you consume this show on live streaming platforms like Twitch, and youtube and facebook we have no plans to leave those platforms volume.com and just that amazing pro musician platform that they are is just going to be one more place where you can check us out along with sirius xm 145 and all major podcast platforms wherever you're checking us out we're glad that you are Uh, are you excited katie zaccardi getting to be on volume.com uh getting getting to hang out with all those cool musicians and all the great concerts they're doing over there i'm pretty stoked
1: yeah that sounds amazing i'm really excited for it
0: Well, speaking of things to get excited about, let's go ahead and bring out our guests this week. They are the CEO and COO of. Hard Drive, a community-based record label that offers its users a wide range of tools, including free music distribution, beats, and other creative services. In April, our guests will be hosting BetaFest, a full-day music industry experience in Brooklyn that will include VIP panels, 30 artist performances, and the fifth annual Hard Drive Awards. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting www.hrdrv.com. We are happy to welcome Michaela Shilo and Andre Mullen on to Break the Business. Hello to you both. Hey. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Loud and yeah, I hear you. I hear you.
2: Zoom. All
0: all right. Right. All right.
2: There
1: you
0: go. Turning. Um, you, hey. you got cool setups there, the both of you, and I Perfect. love. You know. You know. I can tell you all are producers at heart. You got your. Producer <laughs> headphones on, so that we know you're legit. Oh
2: my gosh! <laughs> wow.
3: I wish yeah. I could
2: produce. Yeah, exactly. It would exactly. be a different game. Yeah. Andre, <laughs> have you ever produced a record? I don't know no. if you have. No. I mean, <laughs> you've tried.
3: I, yeah, I've tried. Well, not physically, <laughs> but that's a whole other story for another
2: day. Oh my gosh! Nice <laughs> to see you guys. How <laughs> well, to hear that backstory. Hey Ryan. Nice to meet you.
3: <laughs> How you doing, Katie? Good to see you guys. Nice to meet you, Katie.
2: I am so
1: excited to chat with you guys. I used to. This is throwing it back but johnny is uh uh works with hard drive right and i used a clubhouse clubhouse oh
2: <laughs>
0: clubhouse wow
1: with oh, him I way i mean i guess this must have been almost four years ago now Maybe, yeah, maybe like three the years early ago.
2: beginnings. Johnny has recently moved on, but we love Johnny, he was such a big part of our community for so long. That's amazing. I remember yeah, I've, I've heard such great was,
1: things about Hard Drive from him, so I'm so oh, excited I to chat
2: with that. You guys. Wow. I love that. Ah, Ooh. full circle moment. Full exactly,
3: small world.
0: I, I'd love for y'all to clue us in on what makes Hard Drive so special. Uh, I'm gonna ask the question that we always ask folks who operate distribution services out here. Um, and, you know, I'll start you off with that same question as well. And you've probably heard a version of this about a thousand times, but there are, there's no shortage of, of music distribution services out there. You know, there's plenty of platforms that will get your music onto Spotify or Apple Music or, you know, any of the many different uh, DSPs that are out there. What makes hard drive different?
2: Great question, Andre. I don't know, dang, who who wants to take this one? <laughs> we're tag teaming it, so I'm not sure. Yeah, we're,
3: well, we're tag teaming i will well, we'll bring it, it to you first, Andre. I'll, I'll start. Um, what makes Hard Drive different is, first off, there there's three kind of pillars to us. Um, community, uh, music, and tech. And oftentimes, M- Michaela and I, we talk about, we always talk about, this what we call the secret sauce of hard drive. And that secret sauce is really not that we're we have such amazing ears for music, or that, you know, we have the most innovative tech. um, But it's definitely the community that is built around that. um, And that uses that and engages in that. Um, We have we have artists, creatives, um, service providers at varied levels um, at, of their careers, uh, artists that join our platform or some artists that are just starting out, you know, just kind of getting their feet wet. Um, then we have artists that have been around a while and have really um, kind of cut their teeth, if you will, with releasing music on their own and and but wanting some more support. And then we've also we also have artists that have definitely established themselves to a point where they're like, hey, look, I I want some extra support. I want I want the I want a team. I need people that can that can work with me in fulfilling the vision that I have for my music. And hard drive is provides that community for each of the artists, each of those artists at those very levels. And I think that's what makes, what really makes hard drive unique, makes it different, um, makes us more than a distributor, more than um, a sync house, more than, you know, even a record label. That's, that's really what, really what is the heartbeat and the heart and soul of, of hard drive.
0: Michaela, I'd love yeah. for you to expound on this idea of your, Service being a community, right? Because yeah. I mean, because that would kind of be a distinguishing thing for you. Because I don't think of music distribution services as being a place where you can find a community. It's very much like yeah. a solo experience. Right. You go on the platform, you upload your tracks, they put your tracks on Spotify. Right. I'm not meeting a lot of fellow creatives right. on these services. So, Absolutely. what does your platform do to create and cultivate communities for creators?
2: absolutely um I wouldn't put us in the category of a distributor that's not how it started and that's definitely not where we are it's it's definitely a service of many services that we offer I like to view us as, as a Swiss army knife um when <laughs> I started hard drive in 2019, I was driving down the five. Anyone that is from the Bay Area or is in LA knows that drive on the five where the cows start smelling really bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I was at that point, ironically, and I was at a point in my life where I was like, I have all these music industry connections, you know, from the past 10 years, I've written songs for some of the biggest artists in the world, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears. And like, that's all fine and dandy. Platinum plaques, fine and dandy. My bank account didn't match, you know, like anyone that's that's really been in this understands that. And I was like, I have all this business knowledge and all these connections. How can I make something that provides everything that I've accumulated in one place? And so I was on this drive on the five um, and I thought, wow, I need to marry all of the providers I know, my friends, right? My, you know, my Grammy award-winning engineer friends, my graphic designers that are doing, you know, all of these artists cover artwork, my cover artwork, all the things, and um, marry it with the the artists that are DMing me and tweeting me and emailing me, hey, where do you get your cover artwork? Where do you get your mixing and mastering? Where do you get this and that? And so actually the way it started in April 2019 was this two sided marketplace behind a paywall, like 59 a month and, and 29 a month is how we started. Um, I built the website myself on Wix.com that night. Uh, it was kind of crazy. I on Wix, it. wow. On Wix. Yeah, I started it on Wix. And it was actually on Wix for the first two years. Um, I'm non technical. So that was my technical side, trying to take the tools that I had to make something that I'd never seen, and at least give everyone that was hitting me up access to these services. So actually, to be honest, um, and this is transparent, like this is everywhere everywhere online too. We were actually using DistroKid for the first two years, by the way. Like I had an admin that was uploading all of our artist songs transparently through DistroKid. And we actually had the biggest distro kid account. Uh Phil, I had a call with Phil in, in 2020 and he said, Nikki, you you have the biggest DistroKid kid account. I can't continue to like give you more artists on this account. Like you're you just gotta open up more accounts.
0: And were so you we were just up- manually uploading yeah, tracks to Distro toilet. Kid. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Wow. That was, that was an idea I had on the toilet one night. I was like, oh my God, like we want to <laughs> put hard drive, the label name on these songs because like we want people to rep what we're about. And that was the only thing I could think of. It was kind of the only thing that existed at the time that was quick and and great. Like Phil, I love what he built at DistroKit. I mean, it's it's an incredible tool. So yeah, the first two years was was that. So we that were not is at, so all at
0: bootstrapping District. right it there. Was, wow. No, I
2: tell you, I had the boots and the straps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what was going on. Um, all that being said, just the the thing that happened. So real, you know, to tie it all together, in my mind. It was a two-sided marketplace finally for artists that were reaching out to me to get uh, what they needed, the things they were asking for in one place at cost or at the lowest cost possible because all my friends that were joining as graphic designers and mixing engineers wanted to do it really cheap because they were like, I believe in the mission and also I'm broke too. Like, I just want to help. That's how everyone felt. That's how everyone felt. Um, so, ten artists joined the first week. Three hundred the first year. Twelve hundred the next year. We're at six thousand now into going into year five, and this is all just Ooh. organic growth. It's all just org- I love that. I love it. <laughs> it's all just word of mouth. It's all word of mouth. Um, we're really focused on depth of community, meaning camaraderie. Um, Genuinely helping each other—it's—it's it's strange. It happened on its own. That's not what I was expecting from a two-sided marketplace idea to seeing people commenting on each other's uh, posts and and um, supporting each other's shows and collaborating with each other. We have a collaboration of the year award, like we have the hard drive awards, which is you know hard drive award- artists collaborating with each other. Um, it's just this really genuine spirit that grew from an idea about two-sided marketplace but it happened on its own community actually happened on its own and that was special that was a god thing for sure
0: well andre i want to hear more examples of this can you give me some use cases of of how you've seen like these communities coming together and some of the things that have resulted from it
3: well one of the main things that we've that has that is a staple of hard drive is uh, we have weekly calls and those weekly calls are not like one time a week, we have weekly calls that are daily and for five times a week, yeah. um, everything from collab sessions to um, whether it's production or whether it's um, songwriting to um, just us checking in with with our members. You know, we have a, a weekly membership call, just a member's call saying, hey, guys, how you doing? Really literally just kicking it you know, and, and just having so you're, a you're directly
0: with talking with your users on a regular basis as part of yes. the services you since
2: provide? The beginning. Yes, yes, since the beginning. Yes. We're like 2,500 plus calls deep since 2020. <laughs> yeah.
3: And then on top of that, you know, we, you know, we also, we also have done events. I mean, you know, that is, that is touching a thousand events, um, you know, plus um, at this point uh, between linkups we've done. We've done sync camps we've done songwriting camps we've we've taken field trips to to different places like riot games and and other um, establishments that really to really help it, it fosters community. Uh, but the beautiful thing about it is that the our members see something bigger than themselves and they also see how they fit in that. And that's what, again, th- this is just what's what we know is pretty much missing from from a lot of a lot of platforms that are out that have great products. They have great products. Me, I mean, me and Michaela talk about it all the time. We look at different, we're looking at different um tech products and and platforms. And we're like, wow, that's really cool. And then when we have these conversations with these same platforms, their number one challenge is they don't have community. And so they built this platform and it's like, nobody's there. And so now they're trying to go about these these ways of, all right, how do we build community? How do we build community? How do we build community? Like that is the question. You know, um, pl- tech platforms, they can't thrive without it. It, it, it is an essential part of how tech platforms can, in, in my opinion, and, you know, and I've been in the business a number, a number of decades to just see that there is no way that a platform can sustain itself without having, um, community or, or, and, or a community esque aspect
0: i mean not only does it create value for any platform to be able to have to have a community around what you're building but it's really filling a need for artists especially artists today as artists work more at home as they're getting more distributed throughout the country you know we're not all in just la or new york anymore it can be hard to find your community and find your collaborators i imagine katie in your coaching practice you must come across clients all the time in the art space who are lonely who have trouble finding a community that to not even just to collaborate with, but just to find connections with similarly minded people.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say, I really feel like the music industry can be extremely isolating in a lot of ways, especially when you're just getting started and you don't really know what to do. And so when clients come to me, a lot of times they're just looking for someone who understands what they're going through and other people who get it. What's interesting is I'm thinking about the story we were just talking about before the break about beats. And I feel like having a community solves so many problems, just like that one. It's like, if you yeah. have people you can collaborate with, or you have people that, you know, you don't have to get scammed. You don't have to, yeah. you get into situations that aren't going to serve you because you have people around you who you can collaborate with. You have people around you who you can trust or ask for advice, ask for insight uh, to make sure that before you get into situations, you feel really good about them. So, yep. a, you know, aside from just like education or services, so much can be done from community. I know when I was starting out too, as a musician and as a coach, I relied on free communities just to ask questions and to network with people. And so I am like, I am so big on this. I'm I love it. I love that you guys are doing this.
2: Oh,
0: thank, thank you. you. Thank you. It's thank it's really you. neat and. Michaela, as we talk about this notion of of creating a community to not just advance professionally, but to to cure loneliness, to just to create connections (laughs) with others, I, I can't help but think that your desire to create this platform must have been fueled by... Your interest uh, in another uh, cause of yours, which is improving mental health. Um, I know mental health issues are very important to you. And I would imagine that you wanting to create a platform where musicians could find community stemmed from that passion for mental health. And I know that hard drive does a lot of mental health initiatives. So yes. to, uh, how does mental health factor into what you're doing at hard drive?
2: Great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, We have a couple of mental health coaches on the platform as service providers and providers that lead free calls. You know, last year we did a a monthly mental wellness check in with our our really great friend, Dr. Archer. She's incredible. She's actually going to be at Betafest as a panelist on my panel sex, drugs, and mental health. Shout out to that panel. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, All about our vices that we face in the music business. But um, yeah, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar in uh, 2013 when I was 21. Kind of the classic story. A lot of musicians I know struggle with mental health issues. And it's something I was always really transparent about. And I know that was a choice. I actually was uh, working with a PR company when I was 21. And they said, girl, you know, you don't have to tell anybody this. I was like, but I need to. I want to. I just you know, it's just the true artist in me, like wanting to be super transparent that way. Um, And I'm glad that I did. It's, it's actually a a way that I, I grew my fan base in a really genuine way. Um, So yes, we have mental health coaches on the platform and they're just coaches, you know, they are licensed in their States, but that's, that's a whole other thing. It's, they're not selling any sort of actual therapy services. It's very much just kind of a life coaching type of a vibe. Um, And that's been really helpful for a lot of our members that are willing to willing to show up because it's really hard to show up when you're depressed. Like, it's hard to show up to brush your teeth, first of all, so let alone get on a zoom call with someone that's, you know, on this, on this platform that you're on. Um, And Again, we're we're always integrating it into events that we're doing. So BetaFest, like again, we have a whole panel dedicated to to mental health and mental wellness. And you know, we're looking into other companies, other labels like Laverne that um, that that has a whole mental health department, right? Like, it's really cool to see other major music companies trying at least i'll say trying because i'm honest trying to pay attention to mental health for their employees and their artists um it's something that we didn't have five years ago so it's it's an exciting time um, we all have a brain we all have a brain um and i think it's as important as your physical health like getting up and going to the gym at 5 a.m like andre <laughs> I can't catch up with him, but damn,
0: Andre, making us all look bad. What yeah, the for hell?
1: Real. You
2: know, Jeez, I just want to mention that he's fifty and he looks like he's he's viral. what? You know what? <laughs> Come I, on, Andre.
1: As soon as you said, as soon as you said, deck, I've been in the music industry for decades. I was like, like which one? I- I just, I know, literally, I was like, I just know that he's secretly-
0: <laughs> Andre,
3: good for oh, you! Man. He's
1: gonna live oh, till man. 150. Woo!
2: He <laughs> will.
0: Oh,
3: gotta, so, gotta get this work
0: done. Uh- or oh my God! We're oh, right. all just gonna start objectifying Andre now.
2: Speaking <laughs> <That's right>. of, <laughs> 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 tell <laughs> us your oh,
0: secrets. Oh Other than gosh. getting up at five AM to work out, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to look youthful. Yeah, it ain't I worth really
1: it. Anything else we can try? Yeah,
2: like that. <laughs> he doesn't drink either.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, well. I don't drink either, so I'm with you there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Not, Not worth
3: it. Comedy, comedy, <laughs> comedy, comedy. All right. All right,
0: uh, I got to learn more about BetaFest because this seems really cool. It, it, I mean, obviously, all the cool events happen in Brooklyn, so that's why you're doing it in Brooklyn. That you makes know sense.
3: what? There's no lies detected there. <laughs> there
0: Honestly, we've we've promoted like over the last few months, we've promoted like three or four different events on this show. They've all been in Brooklyn. Like wow, that's just that's where cool. it is. The place
2: so, to be, I guess.
3: So it this exists. is gonna
0: be in April, uh, Andre. W- while you're just st- sitting there looking all youthful, can you tell us about BetaFest?
3: Okay. Betafest is going to be a movie. I mean, I can literally drop the mic and this podcast right off of that. Um, <laughs> we're really excited about betafest. Um, shout out to um the venue elsewhere, um, which is an amazing venue. Um, they've been they've been really, really cool partners um for our first. Um, music tech festival this is this is a first of many I, I I like to tell people that because I'm native New Yorker there has not been a music tech festival in New York say ever okay um definitely not a music tech festival that is um that is that really is for independence um not a music tech festival that. Is really community driven. Um, not a music tech festival by Hard Drive. Not a music tech festival led by a woman-founded tech company. Um, so there's a there's a lot of firsts. There's there's just a lot of firsts, you know. Um, and I'm really excited about um, the history that we're gonna make here. History, history, As she says, story yeah. Um we have <laughs> we have panels um Michaela mentioned uh you know her her panel that that she is curated sex drugs and mental health um with with amazing panelists on it um Dr um Dr Danielle Archer um Marnie Wan Wander who is a, a, a friend a friend of Hard Drive um we have we have a a we have what's the name of you know? There's what? too
2: many. That's There's the problem. Too many. We have six, we have <laughs> um, six industry too panels. Many. Like yes, one curated by Drew Thurlow, that was the VP at Sony, and and at, he was at Pandora for six years. Um, we have you have three friends that you brought in from who knows where at <laughs> the, the best companies for sync. I'm just yeah. like it's it's so many. It's
3: so it's so many. It's many so many. It's, one time. It really is. It really we we have a we have a panel based on community. Um, called "From Me to We," um, that just speaks on the power of community. Um, um, Will Tom's from Rec Philly is a part of that panel. Um, and there's just there's just so we're really excited because of what this, what these panels represent for us. Um, so it gives it gives our music side. Uh, we have we have uh, we have the the Hard Drive Awards. Uh, it's a condensed version, um, you know, but we wanted to recognize we wanted to recognize uh, our members that just continue to do some amazing things for the community. It's the fifth year of the Hard Drive Awards, so you know can't let a year go by without recognizing um, the the efforts of our community. We have activations that are happening as well. Um, shout out to Mamas and Music uh, that are that they're going to be. Um, presenting. uh, We also are presenting hard drive plus our streaming, um, our video streaming channel uh, that we have, and so much more we you know, we're we're talking to some we're talking to some very amazing partners to be part. Um, They'll be, you know, they'll be uh, uh, revealed in the coming weeks, (laughs) but we're really excited for for them. And again, elsewhere, if anyone is has ever been or has not been, it is a 3000 square foot venue, um, complete with um, different areas of um, for for our performances, we have our, we have our mic check, which is our showcase of of close to 30 artists. And then we have our main stage, which is um, five of some of some of hard drives biggest um, and best artists that we ourselves are working with closely and, you know, helping to curate uh, their careers. But so we're, we're just excited. It's, it's just going to be very, 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 very fun. Man, there's fun. no way you're 50. You look younger than me. I you. know. I knew you uh, Come on. Man no great great insight
0: you can find out more about our guest work by visiting hrdrv.com if you're in brooklyn you're going to want to be at this if you're not at brooklyn you're going to want to get to brooklyn and be at this this seems incredible it's BetaFest, full day music industry experience in brooklyn in april our guests have been michaela shiloh and andre mullen of hard drive really cool community you both are creating Thank you both so much for being on the show this week. This has been a blast, and thanks for uh, tolerating our silliness. (laughs) Thank you. We appreciate it. Our our thanks to Andre Mullen and Michaela Shiloh. Thanks to Katie Zaccardi and producer Lauren. And thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.